morning. Uh, thank you for being here. And for our guests or listeners uh, who might be wondering what are we about to speak on today, we're going to touch on two topics. One is lean methodology and second is product management analytics for dummies. Uh, so <laughs> thank you, Lauren, for joining me and talking about these two awesome topics that I know a lot of other people are excited to learn about. How's your morning been? It's been fantastic. Thank you, Mamsa, for inviting me here and for the avocado toast this morning. It was lovely walking <laughs> through your Soma neighborhood and uh, getting to feel like a hipster again. <laughs> you know, you're but. welcome to join any other Friday you like. You know, this is probably a ritual I would be happy to create. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so, Lauren, tell us a little bit about what is lean methodology and, um, you know, why should people, you know, look to learn more about it? So I'm not a historian, but the lean methodology is something that product managers are using constantly in the Bay Area. I mean, it originated probably thousands of years ago, but um, in the past, say, 100 years, it became more popular from uh, Toyota and their continuous improvement and their use of different techniques to reduce waste in a post-World War II Japan. Um, and it has been used in the Bay Area for the past like 15 years, 10, 15 years, Constantly, it was popularized by the Lean Startup, which mm -hmm. is the Eric Ries book. And it's really about constantly building, measuring, and learning mm -hmm. to understand your product, to gain product market fit, and to optimize. Awesome. Uh, give us an example of in the world of software, what would be an example of a waste? Like, how should people think about that? Sure. So, some processes include long lead times for waiting for approvals from the app mm. store so that was a long time ago even mm. I don't know five, five years ago or four years ago you used to, yeah. have to wait 14 days to get approved to the app store or something yeah. Yeah. Um, that's an example of waste so that mm. I think has been cleaned up to being hours or minutes now but um, yeah. it used to be a long process and that's a perfect yeah. example yeah, so I if you developed an app you were basically waiting on the recognition of value for that right right that, that's a very interesting example. Um, what about, you know, continuous improvement? Uh, are there experiences that you'd like to share as to how people should think about continuously improving their product or learnings? Um, how, do you, how do you recommend people think about that? Yeah, so everything that we build, um, we, you know, we're building with the user in mind first mm -hmm. and trying to make it the best experience for them. Mm -hmm. So depending on the maturity of your product, so if you're a super early stage startup, you don't even have a product that's launched, mm -hmm. you're going to be looking at um, getting signals mm -hmm. to improve your understanding and create a better MVP for the user. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've heard of things like lean tests and such or Wizard of Oz tests, Wizard of Oz tests where people will... Um, or some people call it a painted door, where you put up a link that gains interest, for example, in mm. the product before you, or Kickstarter is a perfect example of this, mm. right? Mm. Where you have people ordering your product before it even exists. Mm -hmm. So very early stage, you might do it to improve your understanding of the user and mm -hmm. what the, pro the initial product's gonna be. Yeah. And then a very late stage product, let's just say like a massive retail online product, you might be optimizing four times a week the add to cart button to mm -hmm. make it more successful. And the mm -hmm. way you might do that is through A-B testing and just minor tweaks. So mm -hmm. you can really use it for anything super broad mm -hmm. and even the 
very mature mature product. product as well. It's very interesting you talked about, you know, very early product and then a mature, uh, you know, company, like an example of retail. Would you would you break that down a little bit more in the sense that I, I would assume even in a big company, you know, there are certain products which are completely new, never thought about. Um, you know, easy reorder is an example, which like a lot of companies have not done before, or maybe buy online, pick up in stores. It's a product that may not even exist as an offering by a big retailer, for example. Um, would you advise like people to think about, you know, starting a new offering within a big company, almost as, as, as equal to a new startup, like, you know, a company that does not even exist today and is just trying to learn mm. what customers want? Or do you think that you know, that doesn't equate most appropriately. You see what I'm saying? I think so. So you're basically asking, does it matter if you're in a mature company or a small company? Is a new feature always the same in a way where you have to assume that you don't know anything about what you're about to do? Correct. Um, I would say the answer to that is yes. Okay. Um, I think a lot of companies, especially with those examples you just you just shared, really think it's the silver bullet solution for improving sales or whatever mm -hmm. um you know a lot of there these features that you see just kind of get rolled out across the board regardless mm -hmm. of whether or not they're a good strategic fit or if they make sense for their customer mm -hmm. um, and then there's also the opportunity cost of not doing something that is truly innovative mm -hmm. so you are spending all this time copying features or whatever for because you've heard that you know, it's a great feature from someone else in yeah. the industry, but you haven't really understood whether it's important for your customer. Right. Yeah, that's a that I, I really like the idea or the thought of opportunity cost because that's something often like overlooked, mm -hmm. uh, especially when something seems like flashy or glamorous mm -hmm. or like everyone's doing it. And, Absolutely. Um, that's a super interesting uh, thought to keep in mind. Um, tell us a little bit more about, you know, um, the organization of the process of lean methodology like how do companies usually do that like mm -hmm. how, how do people kind of break that down into smaller pieces yeah um what are the key pieces of that process that are very crucial for people to keep in mind as they might be thinking about implementing mm -hmm. it at their place or you know companies or okay yeah. so just to be clear that i feel like the lean methodology just as a statement is like so yeah <laughs> as a phrase is so yeah. um you know, bastardized at this point by everybody who thinks they know what the lean methodology is. So that's yeah. just, I'm just saying that right there as a caveat before I continue to do the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but most companies, the, I think the, the lean methodology, we're thinking mostly like lean startup methodology, if you mm -hmm. will. So, you know, lean is processes. there a difference between lean startup methodology and lean methodology? Like kind I, of. Okay. So I mean, the idea of kaizen and con, all the, the continuous improvement, mm -hmm. and it's all about the the seven wastes, which I can't rattle off right now, but something about like time and motion, yeah. inventory, transport, things like that. Those are or wait time. These are mm -hmm. all different kinds of waste. Um, that's the more academic understanding of. Um, lean of lean methodology and also you know and then there's mm. you know for sure supply chains have been using these mm. kinds of things Six Sigma has, goes back much longer than the lean startup right mm. but my familiarity with it started mostly with the lean startup and then mm. um, there's also a book called Lean Enterprise that I love as well that gives you actual techniques that are perfect for larger organizations as well for mm. example lean value stream mapping where you're calculating cycle times and also 
um, value added activities. Mm. And again, like the the books that I read sometimes popularize it, but yeah. it's probably been around a lot longer. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, awesome. Um, so I also want to switch gears a little bit, or actually before we before we switch gears onto our second mm-hmm. you know theme of the day. Um, is there is there an example from your recent past that you know an actual experience where you may have applied lean methodology that you'd like to share with our listeners and you know kind oh, of like yeah. have them sure. actually you know internalize or right. uh, visualize what it might look like? Okay, so first of all, I didn't answer your last question okay. very well, so I'm just going to go back and make sure do I get it. you that. Yeah. Um, which is you know where do we use lean methodology in the in companies today. Mm-hmm. So first of all, the concept of like a minimum viable product, mm-hmm. like an MVP. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, that's a great example of the, um, it's similar to say that Wizard of Oz test or whatnot, because you're testing the market, you're seeing whether or not you can mm-hmm. get growth and interest from the user based on I, these I don't early think concepts. I know very well what the Wizard of Oz test is. Oh, it's also called like a painted door. Yeah. These are just little things that you can do. It's the minimum thing you can do to test if users are interested in something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Eric Reese was all about this. I think also, you know, some of these lean uh, four-hour work week, uh, they talk about the idea of maybe running AdWords, for example, Mm -hmm. on something that you think a user might want, Mm -hmm. and then seeing if you get hits on a website or get people to fill out and, you know, sign up for if you're interested in this particular site. Mm -hmm. For example, I thought maybe that I would have a website that would take all the best small breasted bras um (laughs) from from all over the place and make them available for women and i was Uh testing it out where i was i was gonna maybe this was this was your own personal like startup idea (laughs) yes exactly it was called buttercupshop.com okay (laughs) anyway but it was just find it online now uh, i think i might have taken it down but it was just an experiment to see if like people if there would be any traction there wasn't spoiler but the idea is that (laughs) but it's all about also finding the right angle like how do you know who would be interested in this kind of thing? How mm-hmm. would you find them, right? Yeah. Um, and so I was trying to come up with keywords that would get people over there, like, you know, good bras without underwire, things mm-hmm. like that. And mm-hmm. then having, see if those search terms resulted in them hitting my website mm-hmm. um, based on the AdWords and then seeing if people would sign up mm-hmm. to learn more. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing, and then mm. I was coming soon. Sign up, sign up for our newsletter to find out when we're launching. So the first step <laughs> to understanding the market right. was just to get them to your website and exactly. sign up, and like you know, right. how how do you um, how do you recommend people think about you know, let's say this exact mm-hmm. example? Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that people? Do you feel like it was not a success because people didn't sign up, or was it because? You know, like if you had a full-fledged experience, maybe that could have resulted in better word of mouth or like, you know, me actually using something and then, you know, talking about it on my social media or, you know, like, you know, basically helping elevate the value proposition via something that I've used versus what I'm not. So how do you kind of like think through success in a situation like this, especially when you're testing like a small portion Mm -hmm. of like a larger offering that you intend to provide eventually? Well, I know that I got views, right? Mm -hmm. So you're looking at that as your denominator. And then the numerator numerator is the number of people who actually tapped on it. And then there's like another numerator, right? Where you're you're looking at these different conversion uh, pieces different parts of the funnel Hmm. first funnel is the person piece of the funnel is the person sees the ad second funnel is that they go to your website and the third 
is that they Tap on they actually um, sign up, right? Hmm. So, you know, that is pretty important, especially mm-hmm. if you have a hypothesis around who your target user is. Mm-hmm. Um, what you kind of described about people potentially publicizing it or posting it on Facebook, a lot of that could be wasted effort that mm-hmm. could have been otherwise tested in, and also embarrassment for me, um, <laughs> that <laughs> no. could have been tested in this very low risk way, right? Mm. So when people, I think that those are great activities, sharing social media, etc. Mm-hmm. once you have uh, proven, mm-hmm. at least in a scientific way, mm-hmm. that there's interest in your product. Yeah. Because let's just say you have a thousand friends on Facebook. Yeah. You know, a lot of them are going to sign up because they're your friends mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, that's a great idea, you mm-hmm. know, but are, will it, what happens then when you actually, okay, so now you have some kind of a signal, but you don't know if it's a good signal Yeah. and then you launch Yeah. and that was, that's very expensive. Yeah, absolutely. What was the, like, what was the conversion goal that you had in mind that you, you... <laughs> I don't remember, but no. it was, I think I was yeah. looking at benchmarks for, um, other companies. Yes. Like, I was looking at... I did some research online to look at like what other, mm-hmm. what's a good tap through rate for an ad, and yeah. then I set a minimum threshold and said, okay, it, sh- it needs to be at least this for me to say that this is worthwhile. Oh, it makes sense. Yeah. And um, why did you decide to, you know, drop the idea versus pivot and optimize it with a different lens, right? And the reason why I'm asking is Airbnb is a classic example. Mm-hmm. You know, they started with an offering which is nowhere close to what their offering is today. Uh, they used the exact same methodology of like test and learn mm-hmm. and they quickly iterated and pivoted mm-hmm. their eventual offering and now they're obviously Airbnb which is almost you know mm-hmm. um, I don't even know what's the right word but like Airbnb has experiences. become like yeah experiences yes. mm-hmm. um, so what was your thought process behind you know kind of just sunsetting the idea versus right. just iterating and pivoting it into something that might actually work for the customers well, I mean, there. In this particular case, it wasn't so much that negative signal. It was, you know, sometimes you have to decide whether it's worth that effort for mm-hmm. the iteration. Um, you know, one of the other things I learned through that experience is just my lack of understanding of how to source products. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having to make connections with manufacturers and people who will sell you these kinds of products and mm-hmm. let you or drop shipping, for example. Mm-hmm. It's a whole art in itself, mm-hmm. and um, at the time, I guess I just didn't have the interest or the rigor to go for the next iteration. Yeah. Um, that said, I think that if the right idea came about that was more powerful than, yeah. <laughs> than the, the Buttercup shop idea, then you know maybe I would take that time. Awesome. Um, okay, so let's switch gears a little bit and talk about product analytics for dummies. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you... How would you advise, you know, especially product managers who are just starting off in their career Mm -hmm. to think about data and how they use it to, you know, better their product? Yeah, it's a great question. So data and product analytics and customer behavior, all these things are intertwined. Um, I actually put together what I think is a pretty useful diagram, and maybe I can share it with you, Mm -hmm. about how we use data throughout the product development life cycle. Yeah. So when you think about the product development life cycle, you typically have a problem identification first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you're familiar with the double diamond design thinking type techniques, I kind of can see this all along that as well, where you have these two diamonds, right? Where you <laughs> forget the diamonds actually, but it's just imagine it's a start to end timeline. Yeah. In the very beginning, it's about 
identifying opportunity. Mm-hmm. So you're always trying to identify opportunity, and the way we use data there is we mm-hmm. use it through mar- market research. A good example would be, mm-hmm. we were just talking about your Bharat Cup example. Yes, you, you were right. looking to identify an opportunity, you know, if it existed truly, exactly. right? Exactly. Like, that be, right? Yes, yeah. ex- exactly. Yeah. And also just looking at those, um, at you know, straight up market data too. So you yeah. can go online, yeah. Gartner, whatever, find yeah. as much as you can. Um, about you know, I love Statista. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite yeah. websites, um, yeah. and I get their daily email, which is yeah. fantastic. It's yeah. got these great infographics that yeah. I'm constantly sharing because they're just they really do such a good job with distilling down information quickly. But that's um no go ahead. Do you mind if I share one thing? Sure. Uh, the existing market research data is something that I personally feel like needs to be taken with a grain of salt, particularly mm-hmm. because you know if I take examples around, let's say. Uber, which mm-hmm. has completely disrupted mm-hmm. the you know industry of you know transportation, mm-hmm. or even Airbnb, which has completely disrupt disrupted hospitality as an industry, uh, or Glossier, which is you know just disrupting what like beauty industry looks sure. like. You know, at the time when these companies were starting off, if they mm-hmm. were to look at the existing market research, what they would right. have found is, you know, information against how the current offerings, you know, exist in the market, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and if you kind of don't think about or be visionary to like take yourself out of the existing data and, mm-hmm. and think of it differently it's, it's a little bit harder in terms of like using that yeah. data to your but if you benefit, fr- right? but what if you structure the question differently right so i mean with the uber for example right yeah. so their first launch was i think in san francisco because mm-hmm. i was here mm-hmm. for it and had mm-hmm. i was one of the first people with uber and yeah. um it was using these black cars right yes. so you might have said okay in order for this to be initially a success yeah we would need the following things to be true one mm-hmm. we would need x percentage of users in the city who could afford to take a, mm-hmm. a car mm-hmm. for this price, right? Mm-hmm. And so they were able to first potentially check that data. And that's what I mean by market research. It doesn't have to be hmm. something that exists that's an immature gardener type Fair. thing. Yeah, it could that's, be that's just point. like, how, how can I answer these questions before... You know, I make assumptions about who can afford this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other question. Other. They decided, I think, to launch on an iPhone before Androids. Mm-hmm. How many people in San Francisco have iPhones? Versus, so yeah. there's sort of this cross section of people who were going to be able to do it, which was going to help them, so they could create a success criteria based mm-hmm. on some of that information, as mm-hmm. well as understand what success would look like. Yeah. Um, if they and and or excuse mm-hmm. me, what. <laughs> right, what success would look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. So going back to our original question of mm-hmm. data and how product managers should, should mm-hmm. use that, you were speaking about the diamond thought process oh, and yeah. like identifying <laughs> the opportunity. Yeah. And we totally That's digressed. Right. So, no, no, yeah. no, sure. So it's it's upfront in the, pro- in the process of yeah. finding the opportunities. And then um, also after you've found all those opportunities, mm-hmm. you now have an idea mm-hmm. potentially mm-hmm that you, or you find um, the many opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, so for example, we want to know, hey, we were thinking about providing a better way to do a taxi service, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can get, collect a bunch of information there, mm-hmm. but then in order to figure out where to go next, mm-hmm. you need to size all those different things and prioritize them together and say, okay, mm-hmm. so of all the things that we found as an opportunity, which one is going to be the most valuable? And you need mm-hmm. data for that too. So in addition to understanding the upside of all mm-hmm. of these possible hypotheses, mm-hmm. you need to understand the downside if you want to test them. For example, how much is this going to cost mm-hmm. um, for us to do that? Or, you know, another example is like, well, maybe we should start with black cars because it would be too costly to for us to go to 
um, to get the license to purchase all the um, taxi licenses. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So kind of um, sizing what, which one's the right opportunity. And that's still just, again, in the problem definition. Yeah. Now when you get to solutioning, the generating of ideas, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're often testing concepts and such, which is less of a quantitative, quantitative data-driven mm-hmm. experience, but it is something that you could start using um, quantification for. Mm-hmm. So user testing, understanding which users understand your features or resonating with them, mm-hmm. and then finally using product analytics to actually launch it and mm-hmm. optimize it. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about product analytics, especially, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in mature companies who already have product live, like how, how would you advise mm-hmm. um, people to think about leveraging product analytics in context yeah. of mature products and like optimizing it? Sure. So product analytics is super popular. Um, it's becoming more ubiquitous, especially in the Bay Area. I mean, like mm-hmm. there's hardly any company, even these large retailers mm-hmm. are starting to use understand their customer behavior and mm-hmm. funnels like more deeply than they mm-hmm. ever did before. A lot of people today are using data for segmenting, understanding their customers better mm-hmm. um, by their behavior or by other attributes like regionally where they are, um, age. Mm-hmm. Another way that people are using it in a mature organization is through techniques like A-B testing mm-hmm. and looking at these um, and optimizing. So A-B testing, for anyone who isn't familiar, is where you have either a new idea or um, it's either a new feature or it's a an existing feature that you want to improve mm-hmm. and you roll it out to some subset of users and they see it and others don't and mm-hmm. you are looking to see if it's better than whatever we had before. Mm-hmm. How would you define better than what mm-hmm. we had before? Like w- sure. what, what are via the, the main, things to yes. so, look at? Yeah. So via the main conversion metrics. So yeah. whatever you've de- already defined as success for that particular feature, yeah. you would overlay the new version of that feature on top of that same set of data, collecting yeah. it for both of those different groups of people. Yeah. The people who are seeing it and the people who aren't. And then you're looking to see how the um, how your main KPI is, or not KPI, KPI, but that main feature metric is performing mm-hmm. with the new, the new experience. The experience, mm-hmm. yeah, makes sense. Um, awesome, um, Lauren. Those were all the questions I had before we before we close our podcast. Is there anything that comes to your mind that you think like our listeners would really like to know, either about the two topics that mm-hmm. we just spoke on, or mm-hmm. you know something? fun that comes to mind for you that would be interesting to share yeah so one of the things I've been getting really into recently um, is this concept of product operations Uh so I've been working um, at various companies not just as a product manager over the Mm -hmm. last three years but also as a product operations strategist and some of the stuff we've done is lean value stream mapping which Mm -hmm. has been super fun which I kind of described before Mm -hmm. but it's about taking the cycle time of the process Mm -hmm. and then um, and typically what I'll do is I'll I'll identify what the main pieces of their product development process are for example maybe there's ideation and then discovery or bill or sorry ideation and then design and then Um, build Mm -hmm. and then launch Mm -hmm. and you basically look at that process end to end and say where are all the places where we have waste or Mm -hmm. wait uh, wait time etc all along it 
And you can really find the process efficiency, which mm-hmm. is as a percentage, mm-hmm. and optimize from there. And it's really a lot of fun, yeah. and it's super easy to do. You can, um, in, not super easy, but you can interview your user, your product owners, and collect data on mm-hmm. these different phases of your product, mm-hmm. and understand where the bottlenecks are. And it's yeah. a really fun way to optimize your process, realize yeah. where you have maybe legacy systems that are holding you back. Yeah, it almost sounds like. You know, in in the the thought that you just described, mm-hmm. that the product itself is the operations of running product management, right? Like Absolutely. you're basically yeah. like finding opportunities mm-hmm. and optimizing that and making it more efficient, just like we would optimize, let's say, a software right. product, right? Like that that the way as you were describing mm-hmm. it, I was like, oh, it's basically just a different kind of product. All of these companies that we see as successful were yeah. were not just great ideas. Great yeah. ideas are everywhere. Yeah. Um, they were well executed ideas. Mm-hmm. So it's not, and I'm not a big process junkie, but I love the idea of constantly improving and how I think that you can't like innovation is execution in so many ways. Absolutely. A lot of people think that innovation is great ideas, and it's not just great ideas it's how quickly you test those great ideas because only a small percentage of any idea that you test is going to a small percentage of all of your ideas are going to be successful actually working yeah right and there's no way to test all these ideas if you're putting spending three months working on one big bet and then failing yeah (laughs) And this also reminds me of one of the the discussions you and I had had last time, which is, you know, product management is so much about rigor. Mm -hmm. uh, And without that, you know, it's really hard to be successful at product management. So, you know, tell us a little bit more about that. I know you and I talked about it last time, but just for our listeners, it would be really nice to kind of think through that a little bit more deeply. So why is rigor important for a product manager? Yeah, I mean, I think if you really if you really think about it, and I hadn't really thought about it until now, but I love the word rigor, and I think it ties perfectly back to the concept of lean, mm-hmm. because rigor means that you are eliminating waste, mm-hmm. waste through disorganization, yeah. waste through um, lack of clarity in meetings, mm-hmm. waste through not understanding who the owner of this next step is, mm-hmm. waste through not understanding what your stakeholder stakeholders need to know and mm-hmm. what approvals are necessary for you to get a product shipped. Yeah. Those are super important pieces, and if you don't have great product management and the yeah. product management doesn't understand the importance of rigor, for example, like user stories, yeah. all these things, then I think, um, you know, being the captain of the ship many times mm-hmm. as product managers where we're having that end-to-end, mm-hmm. we become responsible for the success and the failure, and yeah. so it's so important for product managers to be rigorous. Awesome. Lauren, thank you so much for all of the great ideas around lean methodology, how to think about analytics and leveraging data, but then most importantly, rigor, especially because I feel like, you know, people don't really talk so much about (laughs) rigor and why is it such an important and underlying, you know, success metric for product management. Uh, So I love that. Um, Thank you for your time and thank you for all the great ideas.